With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart, the most listened to internet radio show in the nonprofit sector, dedicated to helping your charity succeed. It's no secret that combining online and offline techniques is the key to modern day fundraising success, and practical advice is what you need. The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart is the perfect landing point to learn from experts around the world who provide advice you can use. Ted Hart is without a doubt one of the foremost nonprofit thought leaders, also a successful author. His books range from successful online fundraising to the use of social media and how to make your nonprofit green. Guests on the Nonprofit Coach are leaders in their field who share tips and trade secrets for nonprofit management and fundraising success. Ted lectures around the world, but now he's here for you. From the latest in charity news, technology, fundraising, and social networking, Ted and his guests help you and your organization move to greater levels of efficiency and fundraising success. This is a live call-in show. Add your voice by calling 347-324-3080. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at tedhart.com. Click on Radio. Don't forget to dial 347-324-3080. Now, welcome the host of The Nonprofit Coach, Ted Hart. And welcome here to the latest edition of The Nonprofit Coach. Thank you for joining us for five years. Hard to believe that uh, The Nonprofit Coach radio show is celebrating its fifth anniversary today. So in honor of our anniversary... Looking forward to celebrating our happy birthday, our happy fifth anniversary today uh, with some of our top rated guests here on the Nonprofit Coach of all time. When we get to page two today, we're going to have Mark Sutton with us, followed by Linda Lysakowski, Kay Sprinkle Grace, and John Murcott. They are all with us today to help celebrate the fifth anniversary of the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, but as always, here once a month here on the Nonprofit Coach, we are graced with the presence of Ava Aldrich, who is here not only for the CFRE Minute today, but Ava, welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach. Where are you? At AFP's International Conference in Baltimore, and uh, it's a thrill to be here, and it's also a thrill to be able to wish you a happy fifth anniversary. That's great what the Nonprofit Coach is doing for the sector. Well, thank you. And, uh, of course, CFRE has, uh, has been one of our favorite projects to promote here on the Nonprofit Coach. We believe it's extremely important. Now, I, I want to get into the CFRE Minute, but uh, we can hear sort of in the background noise that you're at the AFP International Conference. What have been some of the highlights of the conference so far? Well, 
Well, I think in addition to the great fundraising educations provided by, you know, some of the, the stars in the sector, also, too, there have been some wonderful general sessions with Flippy Goldberg, Seth Godin, Isabella Allende. So, really, this is a place to come not only for great uh, fundraising, education, and networking, but also for really having your, your thoughts sort of provoked, if you will, uh, and really have some great thinkers like Seth Godin uh, share their knowledge and make you think about what you're doing and what's coming in the future. Re-energize and get those ba- batteries uh, raring to go for the year ahead. You're up in Baltimore, uh, Maryland this year for the AFP International. So let's uh, change our gears here for the purpose in which uh, Ava Aldrich joins us once a month, and that is the CFRE Yes. Well, one thing that, that does have to do here with Baltimore, I was just so happy um, to be able to see that CFRE swept the awards here at the conference. So if I can, I'd like to give a special shout-out to Penelope Cagney, CFRE, David M. Huffin, CFRE, Richard K. Martin, CFRE, Joyce Mitchell Antoine, CFRE, and Joan B. Black, CFRE, who were the big award winners or award winners here at the conference and honored for their outstanding contributions to the profession. So, so I think it's an indication. The common, the common theme that you just mentioned there is CFRE uh, earned by each and every one of those. So, what is it about being CFRE that makes these people uh, stand out? You know, I, I think that people who get their CFRE, and just like you said, uh, they are leaders in the profession. They're committed to the profession. They're committed to best practices. And they are committed to being the best fundraisers possible by continuing their learning and their education. And so when I see CFRE, that tells me someone who's going to be a professional in the profession today but also going to be keeping up with what needs to happen in the profession tomorrow. So it just says just something very- about you when you stand voluntarily uh, to be tested and to stand with your peers in your support of your own profession. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons, too, why we're always happy to be here at AFC. You know, I would encourage any CFRE who's at the conference this year or in coming years, stop by our, our CFRE International booth. Just seeing the enthusiasm of the individuals who want to know more about the credential and how the credential can help them along their career path and help support ethics in the profession. It's just a great, great thing. I hear it's a very active vendor hall this year. Is that because CFRE is there? Absolutely, Ted. I'm sure that's the key reason. <laughs> You're throwing the big parties. You're throwing the big parties up there in uh, in Baltimore. Well, we're thrilled uh, for the award winners. Of course, we're thrilled to have the CFRE designation noted so highly uh, at the AFP uh, uh, pro- uh, a professional conference in Baltimore. Uh, and Ava Aldrich, thank you again for always bringing us up to date and being on the ground uh, with your CFREs and with those who seek the designation. We look forward to having you back here on the Nonprofit Coach next month for the CFRE Minute. Great. Well, thank you, Ted. Again, happy anniversary. Enjoy the conference. That's Ava Aldrich uh, from CFRE International. You can find out more information about CFRE at CFRE.org. Next up here on page one news here on this fifth anniversary edition of the Nonprofit Coach, Courtney Cherico is here with us. And uh, Courtney, you're a a new correspondent for us uh, over at uh, GuideStar. So you're going to be sharing with us the updates uh, from GuideStar. Welcome here to the Nonprofit Coach. 
Thank you, Ted, and congratulations on your fifth anniversary. Thank you so much for being a supporter of GuideStar and the nonprofit sector. Well, we sure are supporters of, uh, of GuideStar, the important work that you do. Uh, since you're sort of new to the nonprofit coach, and we always have new listeners, I'll just remind people in the six pillars of success that we promote here on the nonprofit coach for nonprofit organizations that want to succeed online. The first and foremost important thing that you can do uh, online is have a strong website and mobile presence. Uh, with up-to-date information, easy to access for your donors and your supporters. And the number two most important thing that you can do online is to have a full, well-thought-out GuideStar strategy. Uh, so that's where we put GuideStar in our top six uh, ways to succeed online. So, Courtney, I'm taking some of your time. What's new over at GuideStar? Thank you, Ted. Well, the first thing I want to mention today is we have an upcoming free webinar on demystifying the Form 990, tips, tricks, and traps of the Form 990. This will be Wednesday, April 15th at 1 p.m. with Virginia Gross of Polson LAPC and Dave Moha of Cap and Crowds LLP. So as all of our listeners know, the Form 990 is the cornerstone of the nonprofit sector. Each year you have to fill it out and you run into the same questions. Am I doing this right? Have I missed anything? What has changed? Right in time for tax season, we've brought in the experts to help guide you. So to register for this free webinar, please visit www.guidestar.org slash webinars. And from there, you can also visit our webinar archives, which have tons of free presentations surrounding topics on how to be a better nonprofit. And One of the things the, that we talk about here on, on the show is how nonprofit organizations do not pay enough attention to the 990. They oftentimes may just view it as a tax return for their nonprofit. But yet, Courtney, the 990 is now your most public document because it is available to the public by design on GuideStar. Yes, and I'm so happy you mentioned that because we at GuideStar display about nonprofits more than just the 990 information. In addition to that, uh, we encourage nonprofits to update their GuideStar Exchange nonprofit profiles on the GuideStar Exchange. And nonprofits, they already have profiles on GuideStar.org based on the 990 info, but they may not have claimed or updated their profile yet. And these profiles are viewed more than 12 million times in 2014 alone. The data travels well beyond GuideStar.org to our data distribution networks of more than 200 websites and organizations, such as all major U.S. donor-advised funds, websites like Just Give, Network for Good, and Volunteer Match, thousands of private and community foundations, and online giving portals. So remember, if nonprofits claim their profile, they can even start collecting donations right on GuideStar.org. Getting started on updating your profile is so easy. It takes less than one hour to get to the bronze participation level where you can prove your commitment to transparency. So if you want to get started, I encourage everyone to go to www.guidestar.org exchange. And, and you just brought up such an important part of why we think GuideStar is so important. It is about transparency. It is about sharing information uh, and going beyond, as you said, beyond the 990. But, of course, it starts with, and you have this webinar coming up, on having a well-written 990 that does complete the information that the IRS is looking for, but also positions the information and data for your organization in a smart way. Exactly. Better data, better decisions, better world. That's what GuideStar is all about. 
Well, I love that tagline. That's terrific. Uh, Courtney, you've done a fantastic job here on your inaugural uh, visit here on the Nonprofit Coach. We're celebrating our fifth anniversary uh, here today, and uh, so I'm going to thank you for your time, and we're going to head on over to our first page two expert. Courtney, thank you for being with us here on the Nonprofit Thank Coach. you. Have a great day. Well, first up here on uh, the Nonprofit Coach fifth anniversary show is no stranger to anniversary shows. Mark Sutton is here with us. He is now with Frontstream, so I'm going to ask him to uh, inter- reintroduce himself uh, to our audience. But Mark Sutton was our very first guest here on the Nonprofit Coach five years ago. Mark, welcome back. Ted, thanks so much. And uh, before I get going, just want to say happy anniversary again. Uh, you know, I think every time we we have one of these shows, we kind of marvel at uh, kind of all that you've accomplished. And in and, and five years is a real milestone. So congratulations. It does seem like a significant uh, milestone, and I want to I want to sort of explore that with you, given uh, your vast knowledge and history in the nonprofit sector. But just because you've made some changes over the the last year, uh, why don't you reintroduce yourself to our audience? Yeah, absolutely. So just um, you know, kind of going back, uh, you know, really to, to kind of you know where you and I first got acquainted, Ted. Uh, you know, I started a company uh, back in 2003 called First Giving. Uh, really, one of the first peer-to-peer, or if you think about it, crowdfunding type companies um, that was an offshoot of Just Giving in the UK. I really ran that for about six years, and uh, from there went on to join a great company that was Toronto-based uh, called Artez Interactive, which you know, did similar sorts of things uh, uh, in terms of helping uh, individuals and, and organizations r- raise money. Um, sort of interestingly, both organizations were acquired about 12 months apart uh, by a company called Frontstream. So, um, you know, now under the umbrella of, of Frontstream, which is doing some pretty amazing things. And, and I've been at Frontstream now for um, over a year and a half, and the company is really bringing together kind of best of capabilities from donating to fundraising to crowdfunding to CRM capabilities and even um, corporate and social responsibility with employee giving, matching, and volunteering programs. So the vision and kind of what we've been spending a lot of time um, over the past year has been integrating these platforms. And I think that, you know, a big theme and sort of a, a shift that I've observed in the, in the period that I've been, you know, involved with, with uh, fundraising and technology has been the movement of, of, uh, of things from the point solution to the more integrated uh, type solution, recognizing that these things are no longer just standalone activities within the, act, within the organization. And All these just, strategies you know, so, are starting yeah. to come together now, aren't they, Mark? I mean, we 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 started together in and sort of this theory of would nonprofits use the web uh, uh, successfully? Would donors even give online? We we uh, founded together the Eflansby Foundation that had a, a mission of sort of breaking through that noise and helping nonprofits and for profits come together in that space. Mobile then starts coming together. Social media starts coming on the scene. And now all of those are integrating together for smart strategy. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think that, 
you know, again, over the years that we've talked about, you know, I remember kind of going way back to the early days where there was, you know, online donations, you know, will it work? Is it only a certain, I remember talking about it was only a certain segment of the population that would do it because they understood it. And now it's just, it's, it's just a given. And similar conversations about social media and even mobile. One of the things that stands out over the past year is I remember in, in, in the past, you and I have talked about the role of mobile. It's emerging really interesting for us we uh this past year one of the major events that we work with had more than 50 percent of their donations made on a mobile device so not visits not click-throughs more than 50 percent of their donations and to give you an idea this is a, this is an event that raised well over 10 million dollars so yeah. it's, well, it's one of those things that, where it's really coming to maturity we're hearing those stories over and over again because Donors are interacting with nonprofits in a way that they want to interact with nonprofits in a way that's more natural for uh, donors because they carry their mobile device with them. Uh, right. They know how to use and they have expectations. So the challenge uh, for nonprofits is how they are integrating these uh, uh, new tools. And we've always talked about them as tools. This is not actual fundraising. These are tools that help in the effort to build relationships and give people the opportunity uh, to give. And so uh, you and I have, have been there for the, the, the long haul. And I think, um, you know, we're, this is, this is another juncture um, that we're, that we're in right now is the smart integration of social media, mobile web, all of those working together with email and, and none of those have been thrown out. All of those are important to a strategy, how you use those, how you phase those, uh, is extremely important. So uh, we, we certainly have history together. We have history together on this show. And I did want to take some time to ask you to sort of muse on that point just a little bit. What do you think this show has meant over the last five years? Where do you think it should go um, in the future? Should it continue? Um, what are your thoughts on the nonprofit code? Well, uh, no, it's, it, I think it's really been, uh, you know, important as so much has changed. And I think that so much will continue to change as well. And, you know, in in my opinion, uh, one of the, the great bits of value that uh, the nonprofit coach has brought is, you know, just I think a general, you know, discussion and acknowledgement of the latest trends and the things that are going on, the things that are topical that are on people's minds. Um, it's been practical in a lot of ways where there's been discussion of some of the best practices and kind of, you know, bringing in uh, people that are actually, um, you know, sharing the things that are working or things that aren't working. And there's also very practical tips. So, you know, from my perspective, I think that that's really what this show is meant from my perspective. And as I, as I look at it going forward, you know, I think that that sort of forum for discussion about um, you know what's going on. You and I were just touching on some things that you know could, could go into you know much greater detail on about sort of you know what does this this kind of integration mean as things come together. But then there's also a vision aspect to it as well, and I think that that that's something that the nonprofit coach brings um, to the audience as well in terms of where are things going and some good um, ideas and discussion about that. With um, what do you think um, beyond uh, sort of the electronic, the digital, the web, um, are some of the um, directions that the nonprofit coach should should be exploring uh, in the future? You know, one of the things that I see 
um, that is sort of built upon the technology. It's it's the processes and. You know, in thinking a bit about kind of, you know, how things come together, and, and you mentioned it before, Ted, um, you know, social and mobile and online and just kind of as different elements um, come together. It's not just about the, you know, movement of data or the kind of the mechanisms of bringing things together. I think it goes to the next level in terms of how do processes, how, how does the organizations or the practitioners' processes and use cases kind of um, change as a result of that? And it's something that we're starting to see and kind of engage, you know, many of the organizations that we work with. And I almost think that there's kind of a, you know, a level of hierarchy where you've kind of, you've got um, integration bringing data and functionality together. And that's nice, but it's not the important piece, in my opinion. I think that from there you start to have insights, you know, almost like a 360-degree um, you know, view of whether it's volunteers or fundraisers or donors or board members. And that's nice, but that, it also, I think, goes beyond that, where you then leverage that to uh, facilitate better engagement and ultimately action, and then really ultimately having an impact. So I think that Isn't as we look that ahead... is topic that you're, you're mentioning right now, sort of the, sort of the elusive uh, big data that you know, people talk about but don't know what they're actually saying, is that you actually have a lot of information that can help inform where you should be going, and a lot of nonprofits just simply don't access it or use it. That's it. I think that it's it's helping to understand how you go from the actions, and a lot of the tools have automated actions, to having the data, looking at the data, and also, you know, whether you're a practitioner, kind of understanding what that data means, um, you know, other than something that you simply show to the board or, or, or report to your boss, but how does that influence your behaviors? Then also, I think for organizations, you know, like ours that are about enablement, it's how do you build some of that intelligence into the tools itself so that, you know, we, we don't look at integration as simply being getting data from one point to another or incorporating functionalities, but it's helping to build upon these insights to drive an impact. And isn't that really the, the, the key to all of this is that, uh, you can't allow yourself to become paralyzed by the enormity of the data that now is available to you because that's just the way things are today. You have to utilize the tools to be able to make decisions as you go, which means the tools have to be smarter. The tools absolutely have to be smart. I think the data, you're right, I always like to ask the question, so what? So when I see data, it's like, so what? So much of it is, it's interesting at one level, but to what degree some of it, I think, I, I, you know, asking that question, not in the facetious sort of way, but how does this help me? What do I do because of this that helps me, um, you know, advance my, my, my mission is kind of the question because you're right, Ted, there's so much data out there. It's really kind of putting the thought to what's the information that you need that's going to help drive you forward. We've had uh, five years of the of the nonprofit coach, and we cover so many different topics from from governance to fundraising to uh, boards of directors and and uh, strategic planning, and of course the online, electronic, and digital that uh, that you and I have have been you know sort of on the edge always looking for where are those solutions. Um, how does all that add up uh, for nonprofits? We have hundreds of podcasts now that gets thousands of listens, um, it seems that there's something more going on 
than just the episodic weekly show. Well, there certainly is. I think that you know so many of the things, Ted, that you're discussing right now. Um, I think that one, you know what, what, one thing is that you know now there can be a forum or a discussion like this, and it can happen on a regular basis. And I think that you know in the past we all used to depend on having to go to conferences, which are still incredibly valuable. And I, I myself just got back from from AFP yesterday, but I think that. You know, now with the media and podcasts like this, social media, um, these kinds of discussions happen um, real time, and people are connecting like never before. So I think that's advancing a lot of the things that you just mentioned in terms of how we think about this. So, I, so it feels to me like there's been a very rapid rate of evolution uh, on a lot of these fronts, and I think that we're going to continue to see that over the next period of time. There sure have now, Mark. Do you have to rush off, or can you uh, can you stay with us as we uh, uh, bring our next guest in? No, please, please proceed. I, I I'll be happy to to, to hang on and, and help out uh, and chime in if uh, if needed or helpful. Terrific, terrific. Well, stay right uh, right where you are. Um, we're going to be right back after this break. Thanks, Ted. Right. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available twenty four hours a day at tedhart.com. Click on radio links. If you're listening live today, the phone lines are open. Call in and ask a question by dialing 347-324-3080. Now, back to The Nonprofit Coach with Ted Hart. And big program note, uh, uh, Mark was mentioning he just came back from AFP. Uh, Ava Aldrich is at AFP on the ground uh, in Baltimore, Maryland right now. And next week's show here on The Nonprofit Coach, 12 noon next Tuesday, we will have Penelope Cagney. Uh, who is half of the winning team for the AFP uh, Skystone Partners Prize for Research. Uh, they will be, uh, or she will be here with us live here on the Nonprofit T- Coach, talking about uh, her work, global fundraising, how the world is changing the rules of philanthropy, and that's published by Wiley. So please make a note, uh, Penelope Cagney will be with us here live on the Nonprofit Coach uh, next week at 12 noon Eastern. Uh, next up here on the Nonprofit Coach, joining us is another favorite here on the Nonprofit Coach. It's our fifth anniversary show. Welcome back, Linda Lysakowski. Hi, Ted. How are you? And happy anniversary. Good. Well, thank you. Well, Linda, you have uh, been with us um, for uh, all five years uh, in a variety of different ways, from your consulting firm to uh, the important work that you're doing with Charity Channel. Uh, we're really honored to have you back here as we're we're celebrating, and uh, we've got Mark Sutton still uh, live here uh, with us, um, and he just came back from the AFP uh, conference. And Linda, I wanted to to ask you: we're sort of taking stock in five years of the nonprofit coach. Uh, what has it meant, and and what do you think uh, it should be doing in the future? Should it continue? Well, I think definitely the answer to the last question is yes, it should definitely continue. And I really just heard the tail end of Mark's comments, but it was funny as I was listening to him, I thought, well, he just stole my thunder because I was going to say something very similar to what um, he was talking about. And that is, this is the first year since 1988 that I have not been able to get to the AFP conference due to some illness that I've had myself. And um, I thought, boy, I'm really going to miss all my friends seeing them in person. And while it's great to see people in person, one of the things that I think has changed, certainly in my career, and I think the nonprofit 
coach has been a big part of this is that five years ago I was really active and out consulting and traveling and on the road a lot and like a lot of other road warriors I think just got so sick of the traveling and constantly being on the go and while I love being there in person to meet with clients and to speak at conferences and things like that I realized probably about the same time the nonprofit coach was getting started was that there's such a broader audience out there that you can't reach possibly by consulting because you just can't take on that many clients and physically it's impossible to be in 12 places at one time. So I've really changed the focus on my consulting work where I'm doing a lot more online and virtual consulting and through things like GoToMeeting and other programs where I can be talking to a live audience, but they might be... uh, I was in a meeting actually through AFP where one person was on the phone in Australia where it was 3 (laughs) a.m. I really admired (laughs) her for getting on the phone at 3 a.m. But I've had people from all over the world on some of my conferences, and it's one of the reasons I started focusing so much on writing was that I realized you can reach such a broader audience, and there's so many thousands of people out there waiting for this information, and yet they don't have the time or maybe they don't have the money to travel to conferences or they just don't want to take that much time out of their day or out of their week to go to a conference. And things like the nonprofit coach and other virtual learning opportunities I think are really the wave of the future because it's a great way to A, save your organization money, and most nonprofits are always looking at ways to do that rather than getting on a plane, spending 200 plus dollars a night for a hotel and all the other things that go along with attending conferences. So I think these virtual conferences and, and online learning opportunities are really the wave of the future because as consultants and as writers, we can reach us such a greater audience and for the audience they can sit in in their car and listen to these things they can sit in their office and close the door they can you know if it's recorded they can turn it on and listen to half of it now and half of it later so i think these these opportunities have drastically changed the way a lot of consultants do business but also changed the way nonprofits do business because they now have at their fingertips, top-notch consultants that they wouldn't be able to access if their organization had to pay to fly these people in from oh, yeah. Oklahoma or Florida or where they happen to be located. But it's so interesting so that, you, that you bring that up, Linda, because um, our uh, producer for the show, Diane Peach, and I, when we're talking about and she's pitching different people that want to get on the show, and you know, we're, we always sort of err around the side of bringing people on uh, who have relevant information, particularly for small to mid-sized nonprofits that don't have the budgets but need access to people like you and and Mark. And it's interesting that I hear I get emails from people that over time um, they sort of feel like they've gotten to know you. They've gotten to know you know Mark and Kay and 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 John and, and you know we have we have some regulars who come on and certainly we have the the CFRE um, uh, minutes. We've got CFRE as a partner. We've got GuideStar as a partner. AFP as a partner. Wiley uh, Charity Channel. Um, and it, it's sort of an ecosystem of learning 
that I don't think we really envisioned five years ago. Um, but each and every one of you bring your own expertise, and it really does seem to matter. And the listenership just keeps growing. I mean, thousands of listeners to uh, to podcasts. Of course, it, de- it depends on on the topic. Some topics are, are hotter than uh, than others. Um, but it continues to sort of amaze me at you know the the wide number of people um, who sort of come to this. And I, and I wonder, you know, are there specific topics that you think? Um, the future will be directed by. Um, do you think it's the familiarity of some of our authors? Uh, obviously, at five years is sort of, I think, a good time for us to sort of take stock in. Why is this show still so popular, and why does it seem to be growing? Well, I think the topics are the answer to why it's still popular and why it's growing, because I think you cover things like the latest, cutting-edge technology like crowd fundraising and social media fundraising, but also some of the tried-and-true things like, well, how do you get your board involved in fundraising? and How do you uh, build a development plan? And how do you ask for a major gift? So I think the variety of speakers that you have coming on as guests and people who have written books get to talk about such a broad range of topics and things that typically you think, well, gosh, I have to send my board to hear this in person, but maybe sending their board a copy of the podcast and on something like how to ask for a major gift is a is another way to expand your audience. So I think as long as our your topics are relevant and you're covering the basics but also the new trends, I think sometimes we get so caught up in new trends that we forget there's still some some basic things about fundraising that don't change and that we need to focus on those as well. And I think your show's done an excellent job of focusing on those tried-and-true methods while at the same time covering the cutting-edge stuff. Yeah, and Mark you're, Mark Sutton is uh, still here with us. And, and it, it, that balance between sort of the tried-and-true and, and, uh, and the cutting-edge, I think, is what you experts bring to the show. Um, we have uh, our next guest here, and uh, which seems to be the the perfect balance uh, to the topics that you just uh, raised, uh, Linda Lysakowski, and that is uh, the ever famous, ever wonderful uh, Kay Sprinkle Grace is here joining us here on the Nonprofit Coach. Uh, welcome back, Kay. Thank you, Ted. This is I can't believe another year has gone by. I know. Can you believe it? Fifth anniversary. Uh, we're just it's kind of so wonderful. What a stock. service you have given us. Oh, well, you're so kind. Um, we serve around the roundtable here, virtual roundtable today. We have uh, Mark Sutton from uh, FrontStream, who was our very first guest on the very first show and has been on every anniversary show and, of course, has been on shows in between as, as well. We've got Ly- Linda Lysakowski, uh, who uh, has just been sharing uh, her thoughts. And, and Kay, the, the, sort of the topic today is, um, you know, what has the nonprofit coach meant to the sector um, but then I think if five years is worth asking the question, should it continue, and if it does, why? I think that it, because it's so current, it's so relevant, I think it has the advantage over, and Linda and I, you know, write books and everything, and, you know, by the time you write a book, everything's just gone. It's out of date. Because when I began reflecting on the five years, I thought, 
My gosh, you know, 2010, and it, it turns out I've just been going through old um, computer files, and I look back at 2010, and it seems like a decade ago, not five years ago. Our sector is changing so quickly, and I think that the value of what you've been doing for us, Ted, is that it's immediate, it's relevant, and because you are such a media sweeper, you are always on top of things, then what it does is it brings to light and brings informed people, including yourself, immediately around an issue. And I think I've only picked up on the last part of, Melinda, what you were saying, but I do think that we've, we're in a very precarious time, and I think we have to be extremely mindful not to throw out the baby with the bath. I think that we, you know, the, the flywheel is definitely cranking, but at the same time, we cannot leave behind some of the principles and the practices that have kept the ethics in our profession. And as others begin to come into our space, and I was just reading an annual report from a company in which I have some stock holdings. It read for all the world like a nonprofit report. In other words, the impact that they're having in the world, it happens to be a medical supply company, and the impact and how it all aligns with their credo, and they listed their credo. And so we are being, we are both informing, but being crowded by others who will want to do what we do, only do it with more efficiency. And I don't think any of us would deny that we need to improve our efficiency. So I think, Ted, what this has done and what you do is you keep us current, you keep us mindful, uh, keep us aware. Well, it, thank you for that. And and I think Linda did make a very important point, which I thought it was very uh, uh, good timing on the part of our, our producer, Diane Peach, to bring you in at this particular time because – you are, as you know, uh, one of the top-rated, most popular guests on our show, uh, so much so that, that we now reserve our last show of the year, our holiday show, for you, and you're always so kind uh, to make that time available for us uh, to sort of send fundraisers off into the holiday uh, season, thinking about how they can succeed uh, in the new year. And it's always that mix of the tried and true and what works. And, and I think all of you are sort of making the, the, the same point here, but is it a point that people are listening to that we're, we're talking about change and boy, five years ago, we were talking about change and Mark Sutton, when, uh, uh, when we started the E. Flansby foundation uh, way back when um, in 2000. So we've got 15 years since the foundation of the, the creation of the E. Flansby foundation um, th that was a lot of change then. It's been a lot of change for 15 years. So is change the norm, and is it creating fundraisers, professionals who can adapt to that change while maintaining a foothold in what we know works, which worked 15 years ago, um, maintaining a commitment to ethics, which in, in my opinion just is not even discussed enough anymore? I, I couldn't agree, and I I do think that the what we're hanging on to there's a there's a wonderful phrase that Bob Waterman used in the Renewal Factor, which is a brilliant book, and he said we have to have the courage to take the best 
leave the rest. And he said, but even more than that, we have to surrender the memories. And I unfortunately find some development professionals that cannot seem to surrender the memories. And whether <laughs> whether it's that that fundraising event that has not raised money in five years, but oh Ethel goodness, is yes. the chair, and we can't hurt Ethel's feelings. You know what? You can. And Ethel will get over it if she is truly engaged in the mission. In fact, she'd probably be relieved. And we have some practices. You know, Ted, what I think, I think that one of our big flaws as a sector is that because we're so understaffed and we are so overloaded is that we don't do enough analysis of what we have done to see if we should keep on doing it. And I think this has been one of our grave errors. I think it's one of the reasons that we have have lost some traction um, in certain ways. So I think that when we can focus on analysis, we do learn from what we're doing. But I also believe that this, the basis of what we do has got to be that ethical basis. And as somebody who was mentored by Hank Rosso, uh, oh, those many years ago, and the fundraising school, which he founded, um, was that was its tagline, was ethical fundraising. And that's what we have. We have that commitment to ethics. And we need to hang on to it. We need to grow it. And we need to shape our practices so that they are more efficient, they're more relevant, they are more, um, uh, they, they maintain the trust that people have in us, and they still have that same sense of urgency of the need that we're meeting, but we don't lose the ethics in the midst of it. And, well, and for, Kate, let me just ask you, yeah. am, I, am I just showing my age um, when, when I, I uh, suggest that um, it seems that those who are not of that generation um, view that as sort of the quaint ideas um, and not relevant to their work today? I, I, I don't know that I agree with you. I think it is, in fact, I'm seeing among millennials that I've been coaching and getting to know, they have such a strong sense of ethics and integrity and purpose and commitment, where I think we have some softness is in kind of the Gen X, uh, younger baby boomers, who are also not our big givers, if you'll notice. Whereas right. millennials are turning out, they predict now, and I'm sure you know this, Ted, they predict now that the millennials will be the most generous generation since the greatest generation. Because they're giving all the time. They're giving their time. Right. They're giving their money. It's, just part of, it's part of what they do. It's part of their goal to change the world. And how that generation can be as optimistic as they are with everything that's been going on since they were born is simply astounding. But they are. So I'm not finding it there. Where I'm finding it is more in the mid-band where there's slippage. And you see, I think analysis is the big is the big hook into ethics. 
It's like when the Gates Foundation was doing its first malaria program in Africa. It wasn't working, so they stopped it. And everybody said, you can't stop it. Malaria is the biggest killer of people in Africa and children and everything. And they said, but this is not working. And then they found a program that did work. And now they are curtailing malaria. Yesterday, as uh, Mark Sutton noted earlier, I was in Toronto um, with our subsidiary here, CAF America. We have a subsidiary, CAF Canada, um, and woke up to the Toronto Star uh, yesterday morning um, to uh, an article that said nonprofits need clear donor rules um, because the article went on to say that while they're touting at the Royal Ontario Museum the success of this big campaign, $23 million is left unpaid in pledges. And a sort of tracking a history of large donors uh, who put their name forward for naming opportunities, but then sort of habitually don't pay pledges. Yeah. Is this just a race to the dollar and and we're losing that quality factor? Well, I think that part of it is our problem. I don't think I think once somebody makes a pledge, we forget to steward them. We put all okay. our effort into getting the gift. We don't maintain a relationship that makes people feel like I wouldn't let them down. Oh, my gosh, I've I've got this pledge. I can't give to you over here because I'm fulfilling this commitment to the Royal Ontario Museum. And I think that we have been so lax with analysis and we've been very lax with stewardship. And our biggest problem, as you know, is that we have this horrible churn rate among first-time donors, people who who don't give again in 12 to 18 months because we pay no attention to them, but we are guilty as well, and particularly in capital campaigns, of putting all the effort into getting the gift and then thanking them and telling them how their name is going to be you know, in this area of the building, and then we don't keep up with them. We don't engage them. We don't engage their minds and their hearts. And therefore, if we fail to build the relationship, then they don't feel any guilt about not paying it back and not, you know, paying off their pledge. And I but think when flavor look, of the month, right? It's it's like exactly, you know, you're, yeah. you're you're we're, are we are we raising a a a uh, uh, a tradition or a a a level of fundraiser that is always on the hunt but doesn't know how to say thank you and doesn't well, know how to it, Boy, if you you hit a nerve with me on that one, um I have talked with particularly university and high-end arts organizations, professionals over the years. And in fact, this was a huge topic at the Big Ten Development Conference a number of years ago. They had done a survey, and to a person, the highest response in terms of what they needed to feel really more professional and more successful was more time for relationship building. But everything is about the dollar. Get the money, get the money, get the money, get the money, and do not take time to, you know, what are you, what are you doing calling this person if it's not to get a gift? Right. And we have but, forgotten. But are we doing that to ourselves? I, I just I want to ask Linda to, to chime in on this, too, because it, it feels to me, and, and this isn't new, um, but but as fundraisers, we're also professionals, and part of our job, I believe, is help train and educate the organizations that we work with on how to treat donors well, 
how to respect the gifts that they make, as opposed to allowing ourselves to be pushed into campaign after campaign, chasing the dollar, and therefore there just isn't enough time in the day and there isn't enough budget in your staff to be able to actually thank people or to actually focus on relationships. Is, is that true? I, this is Linda, and I agree wholeheartedly with Kay. I, I can't tell you how many times I have gone in to an organization that's running capital campaign, and one of my first questions to them is, well, when was your last campaign? And let's look at the donors that you had from that campaign, and let's look at the volunteers you had involved in that campaign. And what I get in response is a bunch of blank stares mm-hmm. that, uh, well, oh, those materials are somewhere in a box. We've never really followed up. They not only don't follow up with their donors, but they don't follow up with their volunteers that have been involved with the campaign. So naturally, when it's time to go back to them for another gift, for another campaign, 10 years later, this person may not have heard from that organization in the last 10 years. (laughs) Maybe they've, if they're lucky, they've gotten a newsletter. But have they ever gotten a phone call? Have they gotten a visit? As a profession, we talk about relationships. We talk about stewardship. But what happens time and time again is they become disposable donors. They become disposable volunteers. And we're moving on, and we're, we're literally leaving people in the dust. Right. And I think a lot of that is due to what you alluded to or what Kay alluded to, I guess, was that the pressure is on from the board, from the CEO, maybe even from the campaign committee to bring in the dollars. And everything is focused on monetary gifts. And even when you're at the basic starting point of putting together a development plan, I ask people to look at their development plans, and it's all monetary. But we're going to run this campaign, and we're going to raise X number of dollars on direct mail, and we're going to raise X number of dollars in a special event. And I say, well, where's your plan for stewardship? Where's your plan for cultivation of donors? Where's your plan for research? Oh, well, we don't have the time and the effort and the money to spend on that because we're under pressure from our board to bring in the dollars. So that's all they focus on is the monetary end of it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I had a conversation uh, with a woman at this um, Big Ten conference years ago, and she just told me this, this absolutely chilling story of how she had ended up leaving a job because she had this amazing relationship with this older woman, and it was all based around gardening. The woman was a generous donor, but they these two really got along. And the new vice president just simply blew up at her one day and said, I'm not paying you to walk in gardens. <laughs> and it's not about relationships. She couldn't pay me enough are. anyway. And she was out of there, and the story had just a delicious ending because the elderly woman had gone through some real uh, thinking about a huge estate. She lived on a huge estate with fabulous gardens, and she was alone. And she decided, she had decided she was going to give it to the university. And when she called the university to talk to this woman that she was so close to, they informed her that she was no longer there. They told her where she was, which was at a private college in the same community as their vice president. She called her there, and guess who got the estate? Yeah, because it was about relationships. But, but I will say, and I hope, university. So, and I hope, ladies, yeah, I, I, I hope in the final more. analysis, I, she did a favor for the organization that she left 
by hopefully helping them understand the power of relationships. Listen, we've only got a few minutes left, and we've got uh, one of the foremost experts in crowdfunding, so sort of bringing us from the, the tried and true and what we all know is about relationships to how now technology is informing nonprofits. Uh, welcome back here to the Nonprofit Coach and our fifth anniversary show, John Murcott from Crowdster. Hi, John. Hi, Ted. Yeah, congratulations. It's great to have you here. We've got around the round table here. Mark Sutton is here uh, from Front Stream. We've got Linda Lysakowski and Case Sprinkle Grace, uh, some of the, the uh, most popular rated uh, guests on the nonprofit coach. And, and John, we've just got a, a, about eight minutes left here, but I want you to sort of bring us back as we started with Mark, who's an expert in the digital space as well. I want to kind of bring this back to um, what fundraisers are seeing and what nonprofit organizations are seeing in the marketplace and what is real and what is not real about crowdfunding. Yep. And, uh, you know, if I could put a pitch to you, Ted, if you don't mind, just for one quick second. Uh, you have a unique combination of two talents. Number one, you're hands-on and know what's, you have a good pulse on what's going on in the nonprofit space, but you also look ahead and you're visionary. And if you will, you look five years ahead. So when I think five years back, a lot of the crowdfunding and uh, social giving, et cetera, that's going on now is stuff you were talking about five years ago. So when I listen to you now, I more or less think about what's going to be going on five years from now. So uh, congratulations on that, and congratulations again on five years uh, of doing this. Uh, but to answer your uh, question, yep, terrific. So to answer your question specifically, though, the interesting thing is there is a bit of a relationship difference in some respects between donors and causes. And some of it could be that I was listening, you know, as you guys were talking, and some of it's that maybe the way that the nonprofits are communicating uh, but also there's just different ways that people communicate and often it's through their peers. So how do people learn about interesting ideas or good products or good services or a cause that's important to them is through their friends. So, you know, one of the elements when communicating is not just actively doing the communicating from the organization to the supporters, but also giving tools, support, opportunities for those people that care about the cause to reach out on the behalf of the nonprofit, so on the behalf of the cause, uh, to reach out to their network and friends. And that has two advantages. Number one, um, these are most likely uh, being reached out to people the cause doesn't even know, right? They're the network, their social peers, et cetera, that the organization doesn't know. And number two, even if they could reach out to those people, it wouldn't be the same type of communication. The way people, especially younger people these days, communicate through social media, it's quite informal, uh, but it's very persuasive because it's friends telling friends this is a great uh, cause and you should help support it. So these are things you've been talking about for a while, and I think more and more of that's happening now. And, John, and you always bring us very thoughtful. Kay, I want to ask you because when I hear John say that, okay, what I hear is, traditional fundraising on steroids because how is a traditional campaign successful it is peers asking peers it's who knows who in the community it's i can't say no to you and social media has not changed that it has enhanced that absolutely i i couldn't agree more uh with that and i think that the fact that we're seeing it i just wish that everybody would see it if i hear one more time that millennials are not generous, they don't give, get a life. They are giving, giving, giving all the time. They just don't give 
in the way that we have been told they should be giving. Right. And we need to get rid of the shoulds because well, this generation hey, is trying to change the world. You are so right. And I want to jump in because I'm watching the time here. And I want to share with you another uh, trend in our marketplace that says exactly the same thing that you just said. And fundraisers just don't get it. And that's donor-advised funds. So right. fundraisers don't know what to do with donor advised funds. They some people rail against donor advised funds because they're they're corporate, they're Wall Street, they're whatever. But guess what? Donors are giving and they're giving billions of dollars. They're getting the tax deduction and now they can be strategic about where they want to put those dollars. And yeah, you and know what? Up, they're popular yeah. because donors find it convenient. Social media is popular because people mm-hmm. find it convenient. Crowdfunding is growing because people find it convenient. Yeah, I'm doing a big article on donor advised funds for the for advancing philanthropy. And this my, what I really strongly believe is exactly what you've said, but then I'm putting the onus on us. I don't think we come up with big ideas. I think that we just keep going back to people to close our budget gaps. We are uh singularly dull except when we are doing big campaigns. And I think that what we could aspire to would be a time in our history as a sector where we didn't have these massive campaigns because we were extremely successful in igniting people's imaginations and having them push this money into our programs, our dreams, their dreams, as you know, on a on a on a year by year basis. And so my article is, uh, which is still being written, is is very much along the lines that yeah, they're giving, and it's not entirely for tax purposes. They really want to give, but frankly, they don't know how. You know, they don't right. know where to put this money. And yeah, I put the onus in the same way. I I, I did a I was interviewed by uh, Paul Agassi from the for the same uh, advancing philanthropy uh, magazine. Uh, on that very, very topic. So I, I hate to cut you off, Kay, because you were always fascinating, and, and what you're saying is dead on. Donor-advised funds are good news for nonprofits, and fundraisers need to learn that's about the relationship to the donor. It is not the relationship to the donor-advised fund, and there you can succeed. We have two minutes left, so I'm going to give each one of you an opportunity to say goodbye and for me to give you a, a big, hearty thank you on this fifth anniversary show. My, Mark Sutton, say goodbye. Hey, uh, thank you uh, for having me on, and congratulations again. Look forward to talking to you uh, next year and certainly in the meantime. You got it. Linda Lysakowski. Well, all I can say is I'm looking forward to the 10th anniversary to see what has changed and (laughs) what the trends will be then. (laughs) You're wonderful. Five years sounded like a long time. Case Sprinkle Grace. Uh, Just to say thank you, Ted, for all that you do and for this opportunity always to share my enthusiasm and my joy in this profession with your listeners. Well, and we always love having all of you on the show. And John Murcott. To echo the 10-year anniversary, uh, which I can almost hear uh, five years ahead, Ted, and the stuff you're talking about now will be uh, popular five years from now. You got it. Well, thank you all, and uh, thank you for uh, to Diane Peach, our producer, for bringing you all together here on our fifth anniversary. And we will be back live here on the Nonprofit Coach, of course, next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern uh, with a, a big show with Penelope Cagney and uh, her big win 
of the AFP Skystone uh, Award at the AFP International Conference. Thank you all. That's the end of our show today Thanks, and the end Ted. of our fifth Bye. anniversary. On Thanks, to Ted. Year six. Thanks, Ted. Remember our podcast. You've been listening to the Nonprofit Coach Radio Show with Ted Hart. Tell all your friends to check out our production schedule and download our iPod and iPad friendly podcast at tedhart.com. Thanks for listening to the Nonprofit Coach. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.